0: I want to thank you so much for your your gifts and and, uh, giving. Uh, That helps us. We do a lot of overseas travel. We're going to Moscow next month. That'll be our fifth trip to Russia. Um, In October, I'll be heading to Colombia, And uh, so that helps us in our overseas travels. Also, it helps us keep our website going. Um, Last um, year, Our website helped leaders. We had 110,000 unique visitors in 195 nations and territories. And so it's helping resource ministers and leaders all over. So thank you for helping us with that. Let me real quickly, we're going to hit a few different scattered things in this session. We said that a woman's home is an extension of her personality. A man's job is an extension of his personality. Women have a great need for security and roots. Men can be nomadic. Women tend to be guilt prone. Men tend to be resentful. You know, when there's a conflict, women tend to feel guilty about it. Men tend to be resentful. Men are stable and level off. Women are always changing. Women tend to become involved more easily and more quickly. Men tend to stand back and evaluate. Men have to be told again and again. Women never forget. Men tend to remember the gist. Women tend to remember details and distort the gist. Men are motivated when they feel needed. Women are motivated when they feel cherished. Men talk for the sake of information. Women talk to feel close. Now, I am not saying that these statements are 100% true all the time. These are generalizations that have been put forth, and really they were put forth to stimulate discussion. They're not absolute ironclad eternal truths, all right? And in some cases, they may not be accurate at all. There's a powerful verse that I think is very important when it comes to all relationships, and none so much as marriage. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. The King James there says forbearing one another. And Part of the implication of that phrase, bearing with one another in love, has to do with the idea of putting up with some things that are less than perfect. As a matter of fact, one commentator said that a good paraphrase of this verse, bearing with one another, would be this you have to make allowances for the shortcomings of others realizing that they are making allowances because of your shortcomings. So we, we know that we don't offer perfection, neither do we demand perfection from other people. It's ideal when we're both doing the best we can, but it says bearing with one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace that word endeavoring has to do with working hard marriage is hard work and the better the marriage that you desire the harder the work is going to be involved you know it's amazing how that if somebody wants to be a doctor they go to school for years and years to learn how to be a doctor if they want to be a welder they go to school and train for an extended time to learn how to weld. But people just somehow think that marriage is going to happen automatically. And I'll tell you the, what, the, one of the most challenging skills is that of learning how to become a good wife or a good husband. And we should not assume that it's just something that's going to happen automatically. But um, So we apply ourselves. I want to give you a little 10-step thought on how to resolve couple conflict. This is not a magic wand, but it does contain some thoughts and ideas that will give you a strategy. Because most couples that are in ongoing conflict, where they have had ongoing tension over issues for years and years, uh, tend to repeat the same dance over and over again. They tend to repeat. the, The arguments and the conflicts become really predictable. And if you stop and think about issues that you and your spouse have had, you know, something will happen, somebody says this, the other person reacts this way, then somebody gives the silent treatment, then somebody does this. I mean, it's choreographed. Arguments are often choreographed. You've done the same thing for years and years, and one definition of insanity is repeating the same thing over and over again, thinking you're somehow going to get different results. And so that's why we need to read books, sometimes we need to go see a counselor, because if we just keep doing the same stuff again and again, and especially when it, when bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment begin to take root and then, you know can open up all kinds of doors. Number one, when you have a conflict in your relationship, that especially one that you're just not seeming to get over, number one: set a time and a place for a discussion. Set a time and a place for a discussion. In other words, do it strategically. Don't just wait until you get really ticked off and then blow up about it. Because that's you set a time and a place. Say okay, and and make it a time that where you're both going to be refreshed, where you're both not going to have distractions. Set a time and a place. Meet uh, you know meet at a like a what is it a Perkins or an IHOP or somewhere you know for breakfast on a Saturday morning when you both have had a good night of sleep. And you're both refreshed and you can talk. And like Lisa said, you know, have a time frame established and uh, set a time and a place for a discussion. So that way you're approaching it with intentionality. All right. You're not just reacting to something and then, you know, just flying off the handle about something. Number two, this is very, very important. Number two, define the problem. Define the problem or the issue of disagreement. And because it's amazing how many times you're really fighting about two different things. One person thinks you're attacking this, the other person. And and if you don't define the problem, then you tend to attack each other. So you've got to define the problem. And in defining the problem, you both come up with the definition of it here's something you need to understand you can't solve a problem you don't have you've got to define exactly what the problem is and when you do that then keep the focus on the problem attack the issue not the individual number three list how I contribute to the problem now this is a big challenge because if Lisa and I were having a, an issue, then my natural tendency is I want to point out all the ways that she is the problem or contributing to the problem, and her natural tendency is to point out how I am contributing to the problem. Anybody ever experienced that yeah. in your relationship and you start you know sniping at each other yeah. so but if Lisa and I are going to do this. Number one, we have to set a time and a place for the meeting. Number two, we have to define what is the problem. Number three, I have to say, okay, I need to be honest with myself. I am contributing to this problem when I do this or when I say the other. And she's got to say the same about herself. She's got to acknowledge how she's contributing to the problem. But I don't point out how she's contributing to the problem, and she doesn't point out how I'm contributing. We have to each take, this is individual responsibility. You have to take ownership, individual responsibility. Number four, this is very, all these are important. Number four, list solutions you've tried in the past that haven't worked. List solutions you've tried in the past that haven't worked. And it might not be a bad idea, then kind of make the decision, let's quit trying those. If they don't work, let's quit trying it. List solutions that you've tried in the past that haven't worked. For example, ma'am, you might recognize nagging doesn't work. So I'm going to quit nagging. Uh, The gentleman might acknowledge Giving her the silent treatment doesn't work, so I'm going to quit doing that. List all the solutions and those you know our solutions I use that you know guardedly, uh, that were not successful. Number five, brainstorm, brainstorm. List all possible solutions. And if you know anything about brainstorming, you know that part of the brainstorming process is you never judge or evaluate during the brainstorming process. Brainstorming is creative. Your brain is designed to work in one of two ways, creatively or evaluatively. And your brain can't work both at the same time. So you make sure during the brainstorming, you're not evaluating the ideas. You're only creating or generating the ideas. List every possible solution. Brainstorm. Number six, now you evaluate. You discuss and evaluate all those possible solutions that you came up with. Number seven, agree on one solution to try. You know, don't come up with 25 ideas of how you could tackle that problem and then, okay, well, we're going to do all 25 of these. Well, you know, you can't do implement 25 ideas. Pick one. That could be a combination of a couple. but But pick one solution that together you can agree on that you're both going to participate in to work toward the solution. And then you begin doing it. Number eight. After you've agreed on one solution, then, number eight, agree on the responsibility of each person relative to that one solution. You've agreed on a solution, number eight. Number nine is, I'm sorry, number eight is, now you're going to agree on the individual contributions of each person working that solution. Number nine, you set another meeting to evaluate your progress give yourself some time for each person to do their job see a lot of this involves individual responsibility taking personal ownership but it's it's personal ownership based on mutual agreement and so and then number nine you set up another meeting to discuss the progress and number ten this is really important reward each other As each of you contributes to the solution. There's a principle in business that says, what gets praised gets done. What gets praised gets done. And so, ma'am, when you see your husband making an effort, even if he's kind of clumsy and not doing it really good, encourage him, praise him. Uh, Let him know how much you appreciate, sir. When you see your wife making steps uh, toward that solution, uh, go ahead and, um, you know, reward him and and praise him, encourage him and things like that. Now, if you will take these 10 steps, and let me encourage you this. You might look at your marriage right now and you you think, well, we, we have six major problem areas right now okay let me encourage you just pick one and do this don't try to solve all the problems in your marriage at once and I would encourage you don't pick the most difficult problem in your marriage at once get a win as Pastor Mark Thomas once said so notably get a win and uh, you know pick an area and and do this 10 step thing and really do it diligently you say well i don't want to be legalistic about it okay fine then just keep doing it the way you've been doing it and you know uh, keep floundering sometimes you have to do something kind of i don't like the term legalistic but you need some structure to keep from falling back into old tendencies that have not been working for you you remember what dr phil always says how's that working for you you know that type of thing so Sometimes we need structure, and hopefully, see, all those principles really are pretty biblical. You know, when you really stop and think about it, they have to do with honesty. They have to do with, you know, strategic planning, which the Bible advocates, um, wisdom from God, uh, you know, encouraging one another, they 're all biblical principles, but if you 'll do these kind of in a structured way, a time will come when these will be so natural to you that you'll just do them naturally they 'll be second nature to you, and uh, you won't have to do it kind of rigidly by a list. But if you need a rigid list, use a rigid list. all right. I want to talk to you real quickly about uh, four commitments that every marriage needs to have. And marriage is is established on commitment. Now, it's nice when we can get quality in the relationship, but if, if people are not committed to the marriage, you know, you'll see marriages continue to fail, as long as divorce is an option to you. Um... You know, people will often choose an easier way out. I want to share with you four commitments that I believe are absolutely essential. Uh, The first is the commitment of priority. The commitment of priority. And the commitment of priority says uh, next to Christ, you are my priority. Next to Christ, you are my priority. And if you have the Lord Jesus Christ as the number one commitment in your life, then he is going to influence the way you carry yourself toward all of your other commitments. Can I be honest with you? I don't have the right to treat my wife any way I want to. If Jesus is the Lord of my life, then he is the Lord of how I treat my wife. And he's actually presented himself as the model, as the prototype, because the Bible says that I am responsible to love my wife the way that Jesus loves the church. And so when I have a commitment uh, of priority, then I have put my wife in a position to receive uh, honor, to receive love. When you marry, you you loosen your relationship with your parents and you focus on your relationship with your spouse. The Bible says a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. You know, there was a time when you were young in your life where, you know, your parents were the most important people in your life. Um, You know, you wouldn't have lived if they hadn't fed you and you know cared for you and things like that but as you get to a certain place and we should always love our parents we should always honor and respect our parents but there comes a time when we leave mother and father and we cleave to our wife yeah. you know if we had you know twenty more hours to talk about all these different topics you know we would spend a few sessions on in-laws um... Yeah. because very often in-laws become outlaws yeah. and um... Uh, We want to have a healthy relationship there. But the commitment, the first commitment that we start with in marriage is the commitment of priority. Next to Christ, you are my priority. Now, it's really easy during courtship for your spouse or your future spouse to be your priority. Uh, But over time, priorities change and you know we talked about last night how that when a husband and wife is at the altar um, and they're saying I do to one another you know the man in essence he is finalizing a deal <laughs> and the woman thinks she's initiating a deal are you with me on that and so then it, it's, it's very common then that his career becomes his real priority and then, you know, after a few years, maybe the couple begins to have children, and then the children become her priority and um, we just need to understand that the enemy the the thing that destroys many marriages are not evil things, but they are good things in yeah. an improper prioritization uh, in their lives. Many couples have never had a date in ages because their life totally revolves around their kids and then about the time the kids leave and maybe the husband retires from a career and I understand you know many many homes the majority of homes today are you know if a husband and wife are there it's a two-income household but about the time the kids leave and the there's a retirement you have two people looking at each other who, who don't know each other because their priorities have been the kids and the job Uh, Lisa and I did something we heard somebody suggest this one time and when our kids were young and I was in the throes of you know trying to become the best minister I could possibly be and climb the ladder of ministerial success and things like that somebody said take your wife out on a date and talk and you're not allowed to talk about anything related to the job or anything related to the kids. Those two subjects were off limits for this one experimental date. And do you remember that? Mm -hmm. And I mean, we just kind of looked at each other and, um, um, (laughs) because all we'd talked about for so long were the kids and my job. So um, you can begin to succeed at your career but fail in your marriage. Let me give you a second thing. We must, there are two things that we have to do about this. Number one, we must practice the priority of commitment. And number two, we must protect the priority of commitment. You must practice it. It's not enough just to say, yeah, God's my number one priority. My wife is my number two priority. Anybody can say that. Sure. You have to practice it. What is it in your lifestyle that really gives evidence that that philosophical aspiration is really, really true. Because I'm going to tell you what there absolutely have been times all through my married life because I heard the Bible lessons and heard the marriage lessons. You know, God's number one, your spouse is number two. Um, Any time you would ask me, Tony, what are your priorities, I would have easily said, you know, well, God's number one, my wife is number two. But in practice there wasn't a lot i was doing to make my wife feel like she was number 2. in practice, it sure looked like my job was number 2. So it's one thing to say and claim you've got that priority, it's another thing to practice the priority and then also to protect the priority. part of protecting the priority sometimes means that you have to say no to some things. you just can't say yes to everything. so Uh, number two is the commitment of pursuit. Number one, we make the commitment of priority. Number two, we make the commitment of pursuit. And the commitment of pursuit says, I will pursue you always. Now, there's something interesting in human nature. We tend to pursue what we don't have. We tend to take for granted what we do have. And I think men perhaps are even more that way in some cases than women. How many of you men remember that one car that you just had to have? You know, maybe you were a teenager, maybe you were in your early 20s, and you just had to have that car, and you knew if you had that car, you would be eternally happy until you got that car and you were happy for a few weeks until the new wore off. And many times guys are that way as if they don't have it they pursue it. But once they've obtained it, they devalue it. They don't take it for granted anymore. And we have an obligation in our relationships to continue to pursue our spouse even after we have our spouse. One of the biggest sins in marriage is bait and switch. We present something to the other person in courtship that we don't back up in marriage. We never get any amens when we say that. But here's a question, guys. If you treated her during courtship like you've been treating her lately, would she have said yes? Yes. Ladies, if you had treated him during courtship like you've been treating him lately, would he have even wanted to ask you? When the grass looks greener on the other side, you need to water and fertilize your own yard. Lise, why not you come up here? Do you still have the microphone? Because I'm going to have yeah, you help me on part of this. Guys, let me give you some practical ways let me give you some practical ways to pursue your wife number one pursue her with your conversation even when you don't feel like talking know that she has a need to talk and so talk with her listen to her and as Lisa's pointed out don't try to fix her just listen Uh, pursue her with your thoughtfulness guys. she loves it when you think about her Call her during the day just to let her know that you love her and you're thinking about her. On occasion, uh bring her some flowers. Now, oh guys, more than an occasion. Yeah, yeah, do it frequently. Bring her flowers. Can, I'll tell you something I found with Lisa. She does not like uh an expensive arrangement from a florist. She doesn't. She likes these little six and nine dollar Arrangements that are just a bunch of flowers that are in a deal, and sometimes I take them home and clip them and put them in a thing. She likes those better. Hallelujah. Uh, yeah, hallelujah. <laughs> I appreciate that. And, um, you know, we didn't really talk about the love languages here, but you need to know the love language of your spouse. Um, some people, their love language is gifts. You know, like rings and jewelry and flowers. all that type of thing. And some
1: women do like expensive flowers, so just know. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So you
1: know, know, the desire there.
0: Too bad for you, guys, if that's you. Um, but anyway, one thing, one thing I have found out about Lisa is that her love language is acts of service, not gifts. So if I were to go out and buy her a necklace. Number one, chances are 99% it would not be a necklace she likes. I'm just telling you the truth. I don't know why that is. But I actually kind of like that. At first it bothered me, but I actually liked it. Because what what communicates to Lisa, I love you, is when I go out in the attic and I get the dead mouse in the trap. Or the other day when I cleaned out the garage really nicely. That really impresses her. She likes that much more than expensive stuff. It's really true. Or, or she likes, you know, so you find out what uh, see, the love languages are words of affirmation, the giving of gifts, time, uh-huh. uh, affection. acts of service and physical touch. Right. OK, so pursue her with your thoughtfulness, pursue her with your affection. And guys, let me just say this women have radar and they are omniscient (laughs) if you are being affectionate because you're wanting sex they know your motive and don't even say that wasn't my motive because they know but women like it when you reach out and hold their hand when you have no ulterior motives when you're not you know, women see right through that thing
1: because guys tend to, not always, but tend to do those kinds of things that women like only when they're interested in sex. But we the cads, the cads, <laughs> yes, that's right. But but women need that on a, a consistent daily basis. That just communicates value to us when when you do those affectionate things that don't have an ulterior motive, as Tony puts it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Number four, pursue her with your protection. Uh, women like to feel safe.
1: Ninjas.
0: Yeah. They they like to know that their man is looking out for her, that she is safe emotionally, she is safe physically, and she is safe financially. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that couples can have all kinds of struggles, but, you know, if you... Did you guys offer the Dave Ramsey material? I think I saw that on your website. You know, when there's good decision-making being happening and, and the woman knows that the guy's not, you know, prone to make, you know, just consistent dumb decisions that create financial hardship, the woman wants to feel safe spiritually, emotionally, physically, financially, in every way. And guys, if you can make her feel safe, then that's helping to create... And and you pursue her in those ways. What are ways that ladies can pursue the husband?
1: All right, ladies. We can pursue our guys with our admiration and our respect. (laughs) There is an excellent book called Love and Respect by a man named Emerson Gregriches. And I highly recommend that book. If you you need to understand what's going on within a guy about respect, that book's excellent. Love and respect is the name of it. Uh, One thing that's important, ladies, is to make sure that you understand his definition of respect and not just act on your definition of respect. And this is where we get into trouble. We think we're respecting him, but he doesn't hear it or see it as such. So we need to find out what it is that communicates respect to your spouse and then do that. Make that um, effort to do it the way he understands it. Uh, number two, pursue him with your reassurance. This is interesting. Guys don't normally project insecurity. However, they can tend to be insecure. And so when you are pursuing him with your reassurance, that's building something on the inside. He's got a cheerleader in his corner. That's important, really important. Number three, Pursue him with your support. That means pray for him, help him what he needs to do. Uh, for Tony, it would mean, for example, like when he was climbing that ladder or in, in the early years, it would mean me standing by his side in the different situations that he was involved in. That meant me dressing up and, and looking the part Honestly, That's what I had to do. I was happy in those days in a pair of overalls and a T-shirt and tennis shoes, you know. But, but I needed to kind of step it up in certain situations and look the part to support him in what he was trying to do at the time. And that communicated value. Uh, my brother's wife, uh, they have a funny, funny little story about how he needed to do something at the church. And she was really having a tough time with it. And so she put her hair up in a really tight bun, just wasn't becoming. And she, you know, went to this thing just was basically trying to show him that he was forcing her into a situation she didn't want to be in. So now they, they have a funny joke between themselves that, you know, anytime you have to do something that you don't want to do, you put your hair up in a bun and go. You know, so sometimes, sometimes you feel like that. You just want to, you're going to go, but you don't put your best effort into it. You put your hair up in a tight bun and you go, well, don't do that. You know, try to support him by doing your best, giving your best effort in those situations. Okay, and number four, pursue him with sexual response. Tony and I don't spend a lot of time in our marriage conferences talking about sex, but it is a vital yeah. Very important part of it. Um, we did have a question that came in the, um, the forums about how often, how much, how much is enough, how much is not enough, that kind of thing. And you know what? In a couple, what, what we feel like is that that is something to be mutually decided. Mm-hmm. Typically, I know we keep using this word typically. It's not always the case. But typically, guys are more interested than the women are. Um, there's a joke that, how's oh, that? Well, this
0: actually happened with a pastor friend of mine. Okay. I don't know if this is the same one you're Go alluding ahead. to, but a pastor friend of mine had a couple come in. And um, he said, you know, what do you want to talk about? What's the problem? You know, they're coming in for marriage counseling. And the guy said to the pastor, he said, my wife wants sex all the time. And the pastor said, yeah, and what's the problem? <laughs>
1: that that wasn't, wasn't it. That okay. wasn't what I was right. thinking. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but typically, <that's> the typically. <laughs> yeah. Oh.
0: so what are you thinking of? Oh, the,
1: the wedding
0: cake. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll tell that. You want me to tell yeah, that? All on. right. There, there has been a food that has been proven to reduce a woman's sex drive by ninety percent. Wedding cake. <laughs>
1: That's that pursuit thing that we're talking about. You know, um, Tony talks about how guys feel like it, it's a you're clinching the deal when you say I do. Right. But there is kind of a strange phenomenon that happens uh, with with a woman that wants that she's married. She isn't quite as interested in sex as she was before marriage. Now, that's a flesh thing, right? I mean, we understand that we're human beings. We're not only just spirit beings, but we're we're flesh beings, too. And the sex drive is something that can be affected by so many different factors. But the important thing to remember is that this is an important part of marriage. And so by us not doing a lot of talking about it, we're not trying to give you the impression that we don't think it's important. It really is important. And so Mm -hmm. do whatever it takes to make sure that that part of your uh, togetherness is healthy and functioning well. Mm -hmm. Like I said, there's a lot of different yeah. things that play into this physical well-being, um, emotional things. I mean, all, it's just yeah. too much to get into here. But. Yeah.
0: When the sexual relationship in a marriage is healthy, it's a very small thing in the marriage. When the sexual relationship is unhealthy, it's a very big thing in the marriage. Mm-hmm. And um, what goes on in the bedroom is usually an indicator of what's going on in the rest of the marriage. So, you know, all these things have to be looked at in the dress again great books on that topic look at some Christian websites and find them first uh, Corinthians chapter 7 in the message version has some incredible counsel on the sexual relationship in a husband and wife in a marriage so alright all right. so so we've talked about the commitment of priority next to Christ you are my priority the commitment of pursuit And that says, I will pursue you always. I'm not going to take you for granted. If we can just every day kind of remind ourselves, what if I were to treat my spouse today like, you know, we had not gotten married yet and I was still trying to win their favor? You know, that type of thing. And then there's the commitment of partnership. The commitment of partnership says, you are my covenant partner in Christ. And... I said last night, and I'll say it again, as a husband and wife, you will either complete each other, or you will compete against each other. And, and the, the happy marriages are where they found how to work out a partnership, where they work together to tackle life's problems and things like that. On your notes, if you're taking notes, write down the word united, U-N-I-T-E-D, united. And right underneath the word united, write down the word untied. U-N-T-I-E-D. United first, untied second. The only difference between united and untied is the positioning of I. When you take the word united and I gets out of place you end up with untied. Selfishness is the major problem in marriage, I believe. And partnership occurs when we make some of these commitments, the covenant of partnership, I will listen, I will trust, I will repent, I will submit. And submission isn't always the wife submitting to the husband. The Bible says we're to submit ourselves to one another in the fear of God. And the commitment of partnership Psalm thirty four three says, O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. And finally, the fourth commitment that we need to make in marriage is the commitment of purity. And the commitment of purity says, I will love you with the purity of Christ. Real simple principle whenever sin, wherever sin lives, intimacy begins to die. Wherever intimacy lives, sin begins to die. You know, we live in a day of rampant sexualization, of continual pornography and all kinds of, you know, uh, workplace liaisons, emotional affairs, physical affairs, things of that nature. Um, but we are called to be pure, and we're called to have purity in our relationship, that means that not only will I as a husband not have an inappropriate physical relationship with another woman, but I will not entertain an emotional camaraderie that is giving closeness and intimacy that should only be shared with my wife. We have to stay close to God to stay pure in this world. We have to be transparent. We can't have secret lives, secret compartments of our lives. We have to seek a higher standard of purity. Do not be conformed to this world. This world has gutter level morality. And we have to have same sex accountability. Um, guys, if you um, are completely isolated and you don't have any guy friends that you communicate with, Uh, Pastor Mark, I had a pastor friend, you know him, I can tell you who he is later. He called me a few years ago and said, Tony, I'm getting ready. He said, I don't have a problem in this area, but he said, I'm getting ready to get a filter set up on my computer that will report every website that I visit to an accountability partner. Would you be my accountability partner? And he says, I don't have a problem in that area, but he said, if I ever found myself tempted to go somewhere on the computer that I shouldn't go, he said, if I know that you're going to get a report of the websites I visit, he said, that's going to really help me not give into that temptation. And I said to that pastor, I said, I'll be your accountability partner if you'll be mine. I said, you hook up on that system, I'll hook up on it too, and we'll just, you know, it's just an accountability thing. And um, so, but these are all involved in the God kind of marriage the commitment of priority, the commitment of partnership the commitment of pursuit, and the commitment of purity. Marriage is a never-ending process of growth and development. So, Han, come on up.
1: This is a surprise to Tony. I just feel like um, that we should pray over, you know, you all filled these out. And what I would like to do in closing, are you ready to close? Sure. Did you have any other? No, that was it. Okay. This is a surprise to him. Um, I would like to just pray over these things. You know how we sometimes we'll pray over prayer cloths and different things, or we'll have people come forward. But I want to pray over these things because there's a lot of hurt. Uh, Okay. There's a lot of things in these, and the Lord sees every word written on this. And so, you know... We've given you some practical things, things that we've learned, things that other people have learned and shared with us, uh, things from books and very wise people. But the one thing that we need more than anything is the help of God, right? That's right. So let's end uh, these, this set of sessions. Let's end it with prayer, shall we? You pray. Is that right? Mm-hmm. All right. Father, oh, Father, we're so thankful Praise for Lord, the gift of each other that you've given us. We're thankful that you sanctify marriages and that you make all things good. And so right now, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I lift these uh, issues up to you. You know everyone. You know every heart in here. And you know everything that's going on. And you know the future and the things that need to be avoided and the pitfalls that await some. But you'll protect us. We, we ask you to protect us, to protect our marriages from the traps that the enemy would set. So we lift these things up to you, Father. And I just thank you that by your spirit that you speak to each one of our hearts in a way that we hear you. Lord, help us to pay attention to you as you speak to us. I just thank you, Lord. I just thank you for your care and concern for every marriage represented here in this room and also for every marriage that will be in the future represented in this room. These people have made a sacrifice of their time, Lord, to come and learn from you. And I know that you will honor that sacrifice by giving them. You're such a good giver. And you'll give and give and give to those who have a heart and an ear to hear. So I just thank you. You're creating that in us, a heart and an ear to hear your voice as you lead us into the, the blessing that marriage is. Father, we're grateful. We're so grateful. And we just honor you right now. Let's just give him a, a moment of honor for all the good things that he has done in our marriages. Our marriages are not 100% problems, but there are a lot of good things too. So, Lord, we gratefully come before you and thank you for every good and perfect gift that you've given us within each other, within our families, Lord. We're thankful, thankful, thankful for those good things. And we praise you. And in that praise, we commit, Lord to dedicating ourselves, to being the spouse that you intend for us to be. And by your grace and by your spirit, we press toward that mark of being that spouse that honors you and that brings you glory and that causes well-being in the lives of the people around us. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen.